Welcome to the Being Known Podcast with my friend, Dr. Kurt Thompson. And my friend, Pepper Sweeney. We are here to discover and explore what it means to be truly known. Hey, Kurt. Hey, Pep. Good Welcome to back. see you today. Thank you. Yeah, good to see you. you. Too. Yeah, right you on. Too. We are today, we are uh, starting off in episode five of season six. Mm-hmm. And Kurt has given this episode the title that sort of feels like it should be coming out of the twilight zone. Uh, it is the wisdom of the ages remembering our future. We're going to be talking about memory today. Remembering our future. Let's talk about that, Kurt. How do we remember our future? So this is all part of our series on the beauty of wisdom. And I probably should have mentioned that. But I'm glad you did. Yeah, I'm 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 happy to I'm happy to mention it every time you forget. It's not a it's not a problem. It's it's all cool. I mean, although we are talking about memory today, and it's a little apropos. Yes, yeah, I, I agree. Just, just to say. So, uh, do you want to you want to start over? You want to? No, I think we're no. great. Let's I keep think, going. Think we're good. Think yep. we're good. Okay. Um, what was I saying? You were so the beauty of wisdom. <laughs> Couple of pros here. Let me tell you what. You people are tuned in to a couple of pros. Listen, just behold oh. the magic that happens here. You know, I That's... mean, take this with you throughout your day. Oh my gosh. Too much. Try again. You want to start over? So, no, 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 okay. we're good. We're good. So, uh, the beauty of wisdom, and we are looking at it through the lens of how. Uh, this question of how do we become people of wisdom, right? recognizing that wisdom is something that we are longing to become. We are longing to become wise. We don't just want to, we're not just acquiring it. And we have been talking about how it's something that we have to receive from outside of ourselves. We don't just acquire it all by ourselves. We are mm-hmm. necessary in doing the work to to acquire it, but we need the help of other people. And other resources, and we've talked about that resource of the biblical narrative, of scripture, of the community of faith, of the power of the Holy Spirit. And we've also talked about how wisdom can uh, be achieved as we pay attention to the mechanics of how the mind works. And we've highlighted how we, you know, we live at a time where being wise uh, is important. It it feels like, you know, if I if I if I pick up. You know, this this morning, I, again, I, I just pick up the Washington Post and I look at the front page, and uh, there's not a lot that jumps off the page at me, quite literally, that would say, "Oh my gosh, there's a lot of wisdom." If I, if I just read the front page stories, I think I'm gonna be wiser after I read it. I don't think that's the case. I don't. I, I might be more informed about whatever it is that the people who publish the post want me to know. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I don't know that I'm gonna be wiser after that, without having more trustworthy resources uh, into, in, in which I can immerse myself in order to become that person of wisdom. And we are, we are using these eight different domains, eight and nine, nine, nine different domains of, the, of, the, of integration of the mind as one way to approach this. And today we're talking about that domain of memory. And what does it mean for us 
to become interpersonally, neurobiologically, spiritually, how do we become people of wisdom as we pay attention to memory? So just a couple of reminders for uh, those of us who are listening who may or may not have listened to, I think it was season two that we, we talked about these different nine domains of integration. When we talked about memory, we really, and the, the technical neurological way that we approach this question of memory, like how do I remember things? How does my brain do that? We're really talking about uh, the capacity for neurons, brain cells, to increase the probability of them firing together as a unit. We have 100 billion neurons in our brains, and there are lots of different pathways, lots of different neural network bundles that are all representing different activities, different thoughts, feelings, sensations, movements of my body, all these different networks that are happening very mysteriously all the time. And we talk about this notion of what we call Hebb's axiom, those neurons that fire together, wire together. It's like anything. If we practice something, we become more proficient, more efficient at the thing that we're practicing. I'm practicing my backswing and my antenna. So I'm going to become better at that. Hopefully, maybe, but typically we, we tend to do that. If we practice driving, we become better drivers. If we are doing so with that intention, if I'm practicing the piano, I become better. But what we're really doing from a brain standpoint is every time we do something repeatedly, we are firing that neural network that represents my right hand playing that particular part of a Beethoven piece. I'm practice, I'm firing those neurons over and over and over and over again. And like that path that we cut through the woods, that once we've cut it through, then a hundred times we're walking on that path, that path becomes much easier to walk on for the next person and the next and the next. Mm -hmm. And so if you then come to the edge of the woods, the probability of your walking down that path is greater than you're just deciding you're just going to go off on whatever path that you want to go off on because there's a path that's already been cut. So we are increasing the probability of those neurons firing together. But there are different forms of memory. They're all using the same neural network. We're all, in order for, for wisdom, for us to practice becoming people of wisdom, we're going to use that particular set of mechanics of how neurons fire together but there are different kinds of neurons that are doing this firing together work in one form of memory that uses certain kinds of neurons in the brain is what we have to what we call implicit memory i'm remembering things implicitly it begins before birth i don't require paying explicit attention to something in order for me to encode or retrieve that memory it would be like what toddlers do when they're learning how to walk they're not really paying attention in the way that we pay attention to what I'm doing when I'm trying to memorize a piece of poetry. It happens kind of automatically without paying attention to things or when we're learning to ride a bike, for example. That implicit memory has several features to it. We sense things. There is emotion wrapped up in it. We perceive things. We create what we call mental models. I have a certain way of you know, imagining, you know, what if I grew up in a town where the streets are all kind of straight out on a grid, I imagine that streets are like that. But if then I move to Boston, that might feel confusing where the streets, because the terrain, it's not possible for them to create streets like that. So it might feel confusing, very out of sorts, but I create mental models and these mental models then activate my expectations, not just consciously, but what my body will want to do. And so if I grew up in a house like I did where, you know, it's not really okay to be angry, 
Uh, anytime anger comes into the room, you kind of like shut down. Uh, but then I marry someone who has no trouble expressing her anger, even if it's expressed normally and healthily. My mental model is, oh, this starts to feel shaky. I don't, I don't like this. I'm remembering mm-hmm. something. And so I anticipate a future that is going to be dangerous because somebody's angry. And so that mental model is something that I create. And then I prime. Priming is another feature of implicit memory that we are set up, as it were. We are like primed. We are set to anticipate certain things happening. And then we are behaving in certain ways. So sensations, emotion, perception, mental models, priming, and behavior or features of implicit memory. And then we have what we call explicit memory. It's the kind of memory that comes online. We start our brain starts to perform this kind of memory behavior when we are somewhere between 18 and 24 months of age. That's when you know, children begin to form words. They begin to put words together. We begin to experience facts like this is your nose, this is your hand, this is a tree. We, those are factual memories. But I also start to have what we call time travel. My brain starts to mature in such a way that I can perceive and sense the passage of time. As we we're recording this, it's a Friday. Mm-hmm. And I think back to yesterday, Thursday, when I was sitting in my office doing writing work. And I think back to Monday when I was seeing patients. And I have a felt sense, like I have a physical sense that Monday feels farther away from me than Thursday, yesterday feels. But as I sit here in my chair, in my office now in this recording, that whole enterprise of me perceiving that Monday feels farther in my rearview mirror than Thursday is all a felt sense that my brain is creating in the present moment. It's not like I really am able to time travel back to Monday or yesterday. Like I'm creating something in the present moment about something that I'm perceiving, about something that has happened to me in the past. Mm-hmm. But my brain has the capacity to do that. I time travel in the back. I like, And so like last summer feels different than last week. But I also time travel into the future. I imagine that if I'm going to go on a trip, I imagine going to the airport and where I'm going to fly and all those kinds of things. I know I have this deadline that's coming in a week. I have a felt sense of what a week feels like. All those things are things that my brain is still doing in the present moment. But that's that's a way of time travel, remembering the felt sense of being with people, the felt sense of a conversation that we had a month ago and how meaningful that was because I remember the emotional content and so forth. All that is a feature of remembering that is different than the implicit feature of remembering that I have to employ. For instance, when I stand up and walk across the room, I don't have any sense that I'm remembering how to walk, but that's exactly what my brain and body are having to do. So we have this explicit and we have this implicit form of memory. We like to say also that Memory has as much to do with the future as it has to do with the past. Hence the title, Remembering Our Future. Because most of the reason, a lot of why I remember things, is in order for me to access it for what I'm going to do in the future. I remember where I put my keys because I have to go find them when I leave the house. I remember a person's name so that I can name them when I see them again. 
All of these things are important for us, but when it comes to wisdom and when it comes to the scriptures, we also recognize that we become what we practice. That whole notion, we've perhaps said this here before, that what I pay attention to, and that's that domain of consciousness, that first domain that we talked about, that wisdom begins with paying attention to who I'm trusting. And if I'm paying attention to certain things, I remember those things. I encode those things. And those are the things that then evoke my anticipated future. And I become what I pay attention to. I pay attention to my past. And this is where Trauma and shame can be so devastating for us because we can have traumatic events that in our remembering them only continue to reinforce the felt sense of trauma and disintegration and pain and fear and shame that accompanies that. And we sit with that and that we based in that. And it's difficult for us to have any sense of what does it mean for us to be wise when my brain is so immersed in this turmoil, this whirlpool of emotional nausea, when trauma and shame disintegrate my mind, trauma and shame, they are easy to remember. They're easy to remember. I pay a lot of attention to that. Integration, wisdom, it's hard to practice. It's hard to practice. And so we talk about what does it mean for us to practice remembering in such a way that the very act of that kind of remembering remembering is a way for us to become people of wisdom. And there are three scriptures that we're going to, three general passages of scripture that we're going to pay attention to. One is from uh, the prophet Jeremiah. One is from the Gospel of Matthew. And one is from a series of texts in the early parts of Genesis. And the first, when we talk about Jeremiah 6.16, and and, and the text reads, Thus says the Lord, Stand at the crossroads and look, and ask for the ancient paths where the good way lies, And walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. And this text is full of imagery and invitation to wisdom as a function of remembering. Stand at the crossroads. We all have moments where we long for wisdom because we find ourselves in crossroads. And these could be major decisions. These could be the decisions I'm making today in my kitchen as to whether or not to be impatient with my wife. I am frequently passing through crossroads. And wisdom would suggest that I stand in the crossroad. I just want to get through the thing. I, you know, I don't, I don't want to waste any more time standing around. I got places to go. I don't want to pause. We talked in our last episode maybe about God's pace. Mm-hmm. I don't want to wait for God's pace. I like chop, chop, stand, 
Wisdom, uh, the wisdom of remembering is standing, and I am standing because I need to pause. And then to do what? It's also important to recognize that Jeremiah is not talking to an individual. I may, as an individual, read that text, but the texts were written for a community to do and to read together. Jeremiah is saying, all of you stand together at the crossroads. And so this begs the question, who are the people who are with me as I'm standing in that moment? Seeking wisdom, seeking where the good way lies, and ask for the ancient paths, the text reads. Ask for the ancient paths. And in our uh, next episode, when we start to talk about narrative, we'll, we'll talk about how does memory and narrative work together for us to allow wisdom to be discerned by virtue of remembering our stories truly, not limited to only the ways we've experienced trauma and shame, but how can we remember our stories in a way that trauma and shame are regenerated, are made whole, are be- who that enter into the process of healing? I'm going to stand together. I'm going to ask for the ancient paths, the ancient paths of my story, the ancient paths of my family's history together. You know, we've talked... We've talked a lot here over the time together about uh, the parts of our, you, you and me both, parts of our families' histories that of, of which we've been the recipients. And you know, there there are elements of it that are that I'm just so grateful for, and there are elements that I wish had been different. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm just I'm just aware that naming those things, not for the purpose of condemnation, not for the purpose of throwing anybody under the bus, but for the purpose of understanding and telling my own story truly. And then recognizing also not just what has happened to me, but what did what have I been doing historically over the years that in, in response to what happened to me, where in which perhaps I have contributed to my lack of wisdom by the responses that I have offered to my trauma and my shame. And so wisdom is to be understood by looking at the ancient paths of both my own personal story, the story of my family, and also the path of how my brain actually works. This notion of like first we sense and then we make sense of what we sense. We talked about this last week. That it's easy for me to simply act on whatever's happening in the room right now without pausing, standing at the crossroads long enough to be curious about, oh, what I'm sensing in my body that is leading me to want to do to my child. Mm. If I'm not paying attention to the more ancient parts of my mind's activity, and that, that, that the ancient part begins with the oldest part of my brain. It's what my body, my spinal cord, and my brain stem. Like, what, what am I, am I? Oh, I have an uptick in my heart rate. I have this felt sense of wanting to flee this situation, or I want to fight. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm angry. Mm-hmm. And in that sense... Not just that I feel things, but what I want to do in response to it. Typically, if I'm not pausing long enough to be curious about 
where the older parts of my brain are talking to me, I just act it out. But wisdom invites us to stand and ask for the ancient paths where the good way lies. We talk about the scriptures as being places where the writers of the scriptures are inviting its readers to review the ancient paths of the scriptural texts and the stories that are there in the law and the prophets and in the writings. And then ask, where does the good way lie? As we'll see in just a moment, just because we look at what is ancient doesn't mean that what is ancient is necessarily good. If we're really paying attention, we discover that part of why we pay attention to what is ancient in order for us to discern wisdom is not just to see what people did, but what were the conditions under which they did those things that, as it turns out, weren't very helpful for them. You know, one example of that is easy. We, we just, you know, if you if you look at Second Samuel in the life of David, and you the you know the that that text opens with David, the story of David and Bathsheba after the, you know, the nation had been kind of unified, and. Then we have that story with David and Bathsheba, and it's easy to look at that dude and say, like, like, like dude, like, what are, what are you doing? Like, yeah, what are you thinking? Cut it out. Yeah. Stop it. But to look at the ancient paths and look at the ancient paths of David, we would say, oh, wait a minute. Uh, that didn't just happen that night. Right. He was He was on his way to that happening from the time you first read about this cat. And this is what those who were collecting these writings want you to have to do. You have to be willing to do the work to seek out where the good way lies. It's not just going to be spoon-fed to you. And this is the other thing, that when we are willing to do that work of examining all of David's story, not just, oh, you know, he slept with another dude's wife and then had that guy whacked. That's not a good thing. Let's not, let's not do that. No, it's, David was a guy for whom there was a lot about his story that it would appear he wasn't very connected to. And so the good way isn't just like, oh, here's something you don't do, like sleep with another guy's wife. Well, you know, that, 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 that is wise to not be sleeping with another guy's wife. But like, that's not, what it means to seek wisdom when it comes to that story. Seeking wisdom requires a lot more work than that. In the same way that we stand at the crossroads, ask for the ancient paths, and then where the good way lies, because there are lots of ancient paths that we can take. Lots of ways in which I'm primed anciently from a long time ago to do stuff that would not be wise for me to do. And you will find rest for your souls, the text reads. If this is what you do, choose where the good way lies, you will find rest for your souls. And then you get this in, in at, at the end of that verse, but they said, we will not walk in it. And this is the thing, like that verse is a recapitulation of Genesis 3. There the first couple stand before the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they have a, they have a choice to make. They're standing at the crossroads and they decide, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to choose the good way. We're going to choose, we're going to listen to somebody else instead of listening to God. 
is because for whatever reason, it's harder for me to trust God than it is for me to trust this serpent. I'm going to trust the serpent. It's not just that I'm making a choice. I'm trusting someone else. And so it means we have to, and I, I think of, you know, in, in the last couple of years, I, it's just been really impressed upon me about the number of micro choices I've made over the course of my adult life that bring me to certain, you know, when it comes to certain themes in my life and I get to a certain place and I just feel like, oh, gosh, I, why, why did I, you know, why did I do that again? Why did I say that thing again? Why did I think that thing about me again? As if it's just this static yeah. thing. How did I end up here? Yeah. Somehow, as if somehow I, as if somehow I haven't been practicing this, making right. choices over and over and over and over and over again. Basically, I'm the guy who's standing at the end of Genesis or end of Jeremiah six. And he's like, they said, no, no. I'm not going to follow. I'm not going to go right. that way. Right. Wisdom is a thing that we become or not become as a result of the choices that we make. And then we see this reflected in Jesus. Now, you know, it, it, when, when you read this, it's, it's, it's interesting. With it, the, Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. It's the very end of Matthew's gospel. And Jesus calls his disciples the 11 after the resurrection to meet him on a mountain. Echoing Moses meeting God on the mountain back in Exodus 3, where God comes to him in a burning bush, later to be echoed in God meeting Moses on on that same mountain after the people of Israel come out of Egypt. Bearing all this in mind, you meet us on the mountain. It's a different mountain in Matthew's gospel, but it's still a mountain nonetheless. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. They're with, and then the text says this really interesting, but some doubted. And I'm thinking, really? So, like, wait, really? Like, this dude was dead, and now he's here. And, like, what is that? Like, you, you got to figure, okay. You know, it's easy for me to look at that text and say, well, you know, they just must have been stupid. I would, like, who in their right mind, seeing a dead guy back to life with his nail prints in his hands and all the thing, like, who, like who's going to doubt that? I would, as it turns out. Because there's something about what Jesus is about, the glory of a risen Lord, that is touching parts of me that I don't really, oh gosh, as it turns out. They're too difficult for me to touch. Two parts of my own story. Rooms in my house that he's like going to walk in and open the windows and doors to. I'm like, this feels too overwhelming. And what he says then to everyone there, he says, all authority has been granted to me. I want you to go into all the world, to every nation, and preach the gospel wherever you go, remembering everything that I have taught you. And it's a crucial, it's a crucial phrase, remember. It's about memory. This is not unlike Jeremiah 6.16. Look at the ancient paths. Remember. But remember everything that I've taught you. To remember literally is to, the, 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 the word remember is to 
take members and put them back together again. And by members, like members of my body, like my my hands, my feet, my mouth, my head, all this, like I'm going to reconstruct and replay exactly what happened in physical time and space. I'm going to reconstruct this again. I'm going to remember this in a way that I can sense in my chest what Jesus has said, what Jesus has taught, what Jesus has commanded. I'm going to reenact that. And then he says, and remember also that I am with you even to the end of the age. I am with you. Wisdom is about paying attention to Jesus being with me in the face of everything that I'm about. Somehow, back in Genesis 3, in that conversation, the woman had a hard time remembering that God was with and for her. Hmm. Wisdom is about remembering Jesus' presence. And the way that I do that is I remember, I'm going to remember this conversation with you. I, I, I mean, to this day, I, I see where we were sitting in the restaurant in Colorado mm-hmm. when we had a conversation that I, in, just, in, in which I was able to share some things with you where I felt like I was just really super vulnerable. And like I, I go back to that repeatedly. I go back to that conversation sitting in that restaurant. Yeah, we were at the crossroads. We were, yeah. yeah. And you know, I are. Do you familiar with um, Horatio, the Horatio at the gate? I, uh, I am vaguely yes. So it just it just is. I, I so the the the. the Warriors are coming over the bridge to take over the city, and Horatio says, he says, up spoke brave Horatio, the keeper of the gate. I, with two more beside me, will keep the foe at bay. We'll keep them long enough. And then another one stands up and he says, I will stand at your right hand and hold them with thee, right? And then one at the left. And it's just, it's been an honor in the, to be in those moments, to be at your left or your right in those moments. And, and you have been there at the crossroads with me. And it's this community that we look down the ancient pathways and mm-hmm. help each other make the right decisions and see things the right way and all the, and all that. And right. Yeah. So, Kurt, do you remember when you were at Hope Hills Camp and they had the thing with the white pom-poms? Dude, oh my gosh. You know, the all of the volunteers line up. They, they line the side of the road, both sides of the road. And for every family that comes in, there's all this cheering, waving of pom-poms, signs, balloons, you name it. It's, I mean, the, the, the kids that are coming in have never really had anything like this. You know, to me, that's just a picture of being seen and and allowing them to feel known in that moment. I want to share a story about how this impacted one dad. It's, he he wrote this into Hope Hills Camp after just after attending the Hope Hills Camp. We have a five-year-old nonverbal son on the autism spectrum. In the world of disability, it's the little things that are the big things. The coffee was awesome. The community and stories that you're helping to bring together are so, so needed. 
but it was the line of volunteers with white pom-poms that has gotten me choked up about a half a dozen times in the last couple hours. My sweet baby boy is five. He is the joy of our lives, and he has never been invited to a birthday party. Mm. He has never kicked a soccer ball the wrong way on the field and been cheered for it. Mm. We have barely even had birthday parties for him the last couple of years. But a line of strangers with pom-poms tonight, it took everything in me to hold it together. All I could do was look down at him as we walked through that line and try to avoid being a sobbing mess. Mm -hmm. For the rest of my life, it will be a moment I treasure. You know, Pep, that's just an amazingly beautiful story. And if you didn't know it already, Hope Heals Camp is a week-long retreat and year-round community offering rest, resources, and relationships to families experiencing disability. And we're very excited to be sponsoring five families to camp this summer. With your help, your tax-deductible donation will go directly to scholarshiping these families. So you can click the link in the show notes or go to hopeheals.com forward slash BKP. That's H-O-P-E-H-E-A-L-S dot com forward slash BKP and donate. Any amount is helpful. And together, we can help make a big difference. Yeah, and so in many respects, I would say uh, the line becomes very blurry be- for me between wisdom and our relationship. Mm-hmm. Interesting, yeah. In some respects, we like, oh, you and Amy are wisdom hmm. to me. And because I, tr- I can trust you. And I, I, we, we choose to trust each other in, uh, with, with vulnerable things. And uh, there were those in Jeremiah's day who wouldn't. There were those for Jesus who were having a hard time for whatever reason. And, and again, I, I, you look back at it now and say, like, no, they're not, they're not stupid. They're humans. Mm-hmm. And, like, if these were people who had a hard time believing when they had spent time with him, and I think somehow I would have done better. Exactly. But wisdom is about practicing this. And then we get to just the Genesis account. And it's kind of an odd way that I think about this. That if When you think about uh, Genesis 19, and you're like, wait, what was Genesis? Genesis 19 is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm. And anytime we, you know, we have all these kind of archetypal images in our mind about like what, what that was like and why, why it happened, but that uh, Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed uh, by, you know, this fire. But when you read the text, it was a rain of fire. And there's now been some archaeological dig that has, that's looked in and around the cities that were around that area and, and a catastrophic event that took place at some point in the past. But then when you go to Genesis 11... Genesis 11, you find, oh, here, so we're we're working backwards. Backwards, right. Here you see in Genesis 11, this is the Tower of Babel. And there were things that were happening there that God was not, the people were, they were going to, we're going to become God. Just like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, we're going to, we're going to do whatever we want. And if you backtrack just a couple of chapters before that, it's, it's Genesis 9, and this is in the wake of Noah, 
Noah, who was supposed to be a good guy, and Noah's sons, Noah, one of Noah's, like they, they, they just kind of blow it. And they, things like all kinds of crazy, unpleasant stuff happens. And if you then recycle back to Genesis 6 through 8, you get the story of Noah, but like how God says, uh, like, what was I thinking? And what happens? It's going to be, we're going to rain on the earth. And he gets to the end when the flood has happened and the world's been destroyed and so forth. Never again, when the rainbow comes out, never again will I destroy the earth through a flood. But then you get, to, you think, oh, wait a minute, in Sodom and Gomorrah, no, it's not raining water, it's, but it's raining. There is this echo, this work back and like we, we see back through the ancient paths, this repeated cycle that then gets us right back to Genesis 4, where you've got Cain's rage that reigns on his brother Abel. Then you just go right back to Genesis 3, and you see all these, and then and as you're looking, working your way backward, we better, every time we see a story, we see that we better understand the story that came before, and we better understand the story that came before that, and so forth and so on. And so part of what it means for us to pursue wisdom is for us to see how our stories are reflected in things that we've done before and before that and before that and before that. But for the purpose, for the purpose, every single time, God's like, okay, we're going to try again, and we're going to try again, and we're going to try again. And he just never stops coming. He never stops coming for us. This notion that God himself is remembering his initial intention in the first two pages of the Bible. It's like God himself is going back. It's like, well, folks, this is what we decided to do. And we're committed to that. And this is how we're going to continue to do it over and over again. And to be wise is to, you know, the wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is to observe how and what God does, what God does and how he does it, and to live like him. With that ultimate expression being in the life of our king, Jesus. One who continues to remember over and over with us. And so by the end of the day, when I've screwed things up, uh, I can count on God remembering my life, going back and saying, yep, these are the parts that are broken, but these are the, this is how we're going to fix this. By being with you and inviting you to pay attention to the love that I have for you, and out of that, then, seeking what does it mean to live wisely out of that space? Today, uh, I mentioned, I'm mentioning an artistic expression and offering by Mako Fujimura. We've talked about him on this podcast before. And there is a particular piece that he did called New Wine. I invite our listeners, you can go online and find this canvas. It's large canvas that uh, I had the privilege of watching him begin to do this work over a period of about a week in California. This is a number of years ago. And this form of Japanese painting, Nihonga, N-I-H-O-N-G-A, is this very, very slow moving process from the mixture of the powdered, basically crushed stone and how that is layered on the canvas to how long it takes to dry, then the next layer and the next layer and the next layer. And these paintings can take weeks, months sometimes to complete just because of the natural process. And in some respects, it is a reminder to me of, if you were to look at new wine, how 
it is an expression of wisdom, but that has taken a long time. It has taken lots of remembering, lots of standing at the ancient crossroads, lots of work actually being curious and remembering on purpose with a purpose toward integration, with a purpose toward beauty and goodness. Not just remembering accidentally or haphazardly or automatically in the way that our implicit memory might want to take us. But again, being curious about who are the people who are in our lives who are helping us to remember our lives in their most full, most true way. And so as an application for our listeners, this week I would just invite you to make a list of those things that you remember from your childhood. And by that, I mean just think of two or three things of events from each decade. That's a way to do it. Just list them. And when you do, pay close attention to what you sense and image and feel and who the people are that are in those memories that are most important to you. And then be curious about what's the meaning that I'm giving to this memory? What's important to me? Why am I remembering this? Why? What's the significance of this? And out of this memory, what is the story that I'm telling about myself? And is that a story of wisdom? Is it a story that leads to the fruit of the Spirit? Is it a story that leads to your becoming more comfortable and confident in becoming the Sermon on the Mount, becoming, you know, those eight blesseds of the Beatitudes. And what wisdom have you gained in your life because of those memories that, you, that you're exploring? And all this is going to prepare us for our next episode when we start to talk about the narrative domain of our mind from an interpersonal neurobiological perspective, but how wisdom is really a way in which we come to tell our story more faithfully in terms of how God is telling it as well. So hopefully that application will be something that you can begin to practice, do some writing about, and be curious about in what ways, I would say this too, be curious about in what ways over the course of the time that you've been listening to these episodes, how would you say that you sense that wisdom has become a larger Mm. part of your life? That's a great question. I love this idea of two to three memories from each decade as a way to focus our, t- our time and energy on this process. I think that's really, really a neat thing. And as far as Meiko Fujimar's new wine, you mentioned that you were there for part of that. And we will put in the show notes a link to a video where he was painting with the keyboardist from Japan and you all in the room as a beautiful experience the whole thing and then we'll we'll put a link in to the actual painting so that people can spend some time with that as well great kurt again all right brother love you love you too man stick around folks if you're on uh youtube amy's gonna be joining us here in just a second and i cut you off until next time for sure (laughs) thanks kurt (laughs) it's all right This podcast is produced by Kurt Thompson, Pepper Sweeney, and myself, Amy Chella. Audio production and editing is by Keaton Simons. Video production and editing is by Mark Gould. Speaking of videos, each week we post the video version of every episode to our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube by going to youtube.com or your app 
and searching Being Known Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on social media at Being Known Pod. If you like this podcast, tell a friend. Tell all of your friends. And please like, rate, and review. Be well, be known.